Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when and um, asked to minister at some church. A lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and be read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Not if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was, what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face. So the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds are hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, the, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord, it, there, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Would you bow your heads and 
pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your presence here this morning, and I, I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that as we behold you, as we look unto your glory, God, that you would transform us, that we would enjoy the freedom that we have in the Spirit. And Father, we understand that the law kills, but Father, this ministry of the Spirit brings life. And Father, I pray this morning that you bring life to our hearts in every single thing that we do, Lord, that we might exalt your name. And I pray, God, that in every single heart that came in this place, maybe uh, that has deadness and dryness and, and, and just depression and a lot of things, Father, I pray that you bring clarity, that you bring life and change and transformation. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence. In Jesus, we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you ever had a time where you started something, being extremely excited, how to um, kind of like go maybe on a mission or maybe a new workout routine or whatever you decide to put your mind, or maybe you learn, you want to learn a new instrument, you know how, how passionate you get right away and you, you talk to your friends and you tell them about how, how excited you are to go on this new venture, but you have no idea what's awaiting for you? Right, like, like I remember how many times, man, I, I tried to play something, at least one instrument, or do anything that has to do with music, because music is just awesome. And I remember taking choir in high school, and my instructor looking at us and saying, Some, someone sounds very wrong in that section, like right there. Can you guys just, just you sing? And then, turns out I happened to be in that section, but I thought, well, maybe, the, maybe it's somebody else. And she's like, yeah, no, it's definitely Slavic's row right there. Um, and then finally she's like, yeah, I think, I think it's you, Slavic. I think, uh, yeah, yeah we, we, we just need to do some work. So I went to my counselor and I was like, hey, I want to drop the class. <laughs> and uh, she's like, why? And she kept on prying, prying, and finally told, told her. And it, it led to my instructor apologizing to me in front of the whole class saying, hey, you didn't sound good, but it was wrong for me to call you out. I'm like, you're doing that again right now. <laughs> um, Needless to say, I don't know how Pastor Yuri does it, but music is extremely difficult, right? Like learning all the rules and all of that. I remember how many times we, we decided to go on a mission trip and everyone's just so excited. Yeah, are we going to go to a mission trip? And then we're going to preach to the thousands and we're going to set the stage. And then as the day comes closer, you're like, hey, we need to raise money. So we're going to do car washes. Oh, but see, I have a, I have a dentist appointment. And, and then slowly by slowly, you start to, to, to kind of go from having, you know, 100 people to 30 people to 10. You know, the, the, the faithful of Gideon, right? Like it just sort of dwindles down. And then until it's you and your, your friend, like you still want to go on a mission trip? Right, because when, when the, the, the rubber hits the road, right, like what we had so perfectly in our mind, in our vision, right, it just, it doesn't, we realize how much work. And I think a lot of times we just learn just enough to realize how much you don't know, how difficult this is going to be. And we do this in our faith all the time. Like we have camp coming up this, this weekend and I remember how many times people come to the altar and they, they, they're just weeping and they're saying, I am changed forever. The Lord has saved me. And you're like, didn't he get saved for the last three years in a row? You're just kind of thinking like, yeah, just give him a moment. Like, you know, he's being saved again, right? Because it's so easy in the, the moment when everything is emotional for you to run to the front and give your whole life and promise your future kids in your, your house and all that you have until Monday hits, and you realize this is a lot harder than I thought. 
It, it, it's so awesome to listen to an amazing song, but then you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm doing music now. And then you start learning one instrument and you realize, well, this is, this is really difficult, playing drums. I still cannot get my hand, this hand to do a different thing than this hand. I don't know how, how the drummer does it, but I just have a really difficult time doing that. We're having my leg do something different on the different rhythm than my hand does. Like, I, I don't understand how you guys do it, but it's, it's extremely difficult until it clicks, apparently, right? But then last night, I was listening to this composer. His name's Hans Zimmer, and he wrote some of the best soundtracks that you've ever heard of, like, for example, for the soundtrack for Inception and Interstellar. And I was, I was driving, and I started playing this music, and I came across this YouTube video with all of his, you know, you know uh, songs and soundtracks, rather, that he's composed. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this music doesn't have lyrics, but it makes me feel a thousand different emotions. On one hand, I'm passionate. On the other hand, I'm like, this, 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 just, this is sad. And, and nostalgia comes over you, and you're like, you know when you pull to your house and you don't want to get out of that car because you want the song to, to complete the song, but then you replay it again and again, right? And you realize, you're like, man, this is so good. I, what are these emotions that come over me? Like, I didn't know the music can make you feel that way. What, what you just experienced there is someone who is a master of composing music, who has mastered the basics of getting over, learning how to write notes and rhythm and tempo and all these things. And it's not that he has great, amazing tools. Those things help. But because of his vision and imagination and how he's able to, as, as an amazing master, to put compositions together that we haven't even heard of and couldn't even imagine, right? That's the, the beauty of it, right? Like, you feel that glorious moment, and you realize this is something special. But to get there, you had to get through the, you know, nitty-gritty of learning, the drudgery of practicing piano and, 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 and guitar because your parents made me, or made you. Right? And then the moment you start to, there's a, there's a freedom and there's a transformation that comes over you when you know the basics and you know how to play very well. There's a freedom. I mean, Pastor Year gets on the piano and he's singing, and he's praying, and he's playing. And I'm like, how? How? I can't pray without actually thinking what I'm going to say next. Right? Because he's mastered it. He's able to have a freedom that I've never experienced. Right? So when it comes to our walk with the Lord, right? We hear Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and if you know anything about Corinth, Corinth was the modern-day Las Vegas. And they have a lot, of, a lot of difficulties. They obviously have a lot of people who are extremely lascivious. And if you don't know what that means, it's someone that just sleeps around and does a whole bunch of horrible things. And then you have the Judaizers who are very law-driven. They grew up as a Jewish boy who learned the Torah and they lear learned the prophets and the law. They learn all those things and they're coming to the church. And in this church, you have a mix of people who are extremely religious and then you have people who are extremely lascivious, people who are very into their sin and people who are in the, their sin, but they pretend like they got this, they, 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 they know how to do this thing serving God. So the Judaizers would constantly bring in the old covenant law 
saying, oh, Jesus is great, but you also need to be circumcised. Oh, you also have to do this, and you have to keep the Sabbath, and you have to do this and this and this and that. And Apostle, writes, Apostle Paul writes to Corinth, and he says, look, you have a whole bunch of people who come, and they play down our credibility. And they say things like, who is Paul? Like, let me, let me assert my authority. And he says, and Apostle Paul says, do I need do I need to write you with letters of recommendation that you should listen to me? Oh, here's a letter of recommendation for you. Your very lives that have been transformed by the power of the gospel. Your life has been so transformed, and that in itself is my letter of recommendation to you. That you know that what I'm preaching is true. You know what I'm preaching is the gospel. You know that what I'm preaching has the power to give you freedom and transform because you've experienced it in your life. The law that we're talking about is not a law written on tablets of stone that was given in the Old Testament. No, the law that I'm giving you is written on your hearts. And there's benefits that come with that. So he reminds him in the first part of this chapter, says, remember, I don't have to prove who I am to you because what I preached to you was Christ and Christ has changed your life. And the very fact that your life has been changed is a letter of recommendation that I am a guy who cares about you, a guy who cares about the gospel, cares about the very things that matter. I don't have to prove myself anymore because you know what I'm talking about has transformed your life. Do not allow the old covenant because you see, the interesting part about this, he's referencing something that happened in Exodus chapter 32, 33. And in Exodus, what happens there is Moses goes and spends time with the Lord on the mountain. And he spends there around 40 days, I believe, and he spends it on the mountain, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. God himself writes on the Ten, the Ten Commandments on these pieces of stone. And as he's coming down, I mean, he hasn't been gone that long. Like, imagine if Pastor Uri left for, for a month, or maybe a month and a half, right? He hasn't been gone that long. But on the way back, he realizes that the children of Israel were the, the Israelites, have made for themselves a God. They, they, they've melted together a whole bunch of jewelry, and then they got all this gold, and they made this calf, and they started to worship this, this cow. It's like you're gone. Moses is only gone for maybe a month and a half. And these guys already went back into idolatry. And the question is, why a cow? Out of all the things like, they could have said, like, okay, well, this is our God now, right? Like... Why a cow? <laughs> you know why? Because in Egypt, that was a symbol of a god. Right? And, I, and I think a lot of times in our own generation, right, we came, most of us, a lot of us, and I wouldn't say most of us, but a lot of us came from the old Soviet Union, right? And maybe you grew up, maybe some of you are from Mexico or Spain or whatever God has called you. Now there's United States, this this pot of all these cultures. That's what makes it so amazing, right? And our fathers, or my, my generation, well, my, my father's generation tells us that, you see, you're not doing church wrong, uh, right. 
Because in Russia, in Moldova, we did church this way. We didn't have three songs. We had four. And uh, we didn't pray this way. We prayed this way. So they associated their culture and tradition with worshiping God. Whatever you grew up in, you have a different way of worshiping God. You have a different image of who God is because of the culture that you grew up in. But there's a one true nature of God. There's one true character of God. And it's not our cultures that define who God is. It's who God says about himself that he is. It's what scripture says about who he is. When people say things like, I don't believe your God. My God is a God of love. And I'm like, well, he's also a God of justice. He's also a God of holiness. He's also a God of righteousness. He's also, we're told God is a warrior, a heart. But he's also gentle and kind. So for us to know who God is, we need to go to him not to worship God in the way that we were brought up, but saying to God, God, how do you want to be worshipped? Lord, what, what are you calling me to do right now? Not forget my culture and all these things. Now, cultures are awesome because like, it makes us unique in very different ways, right? Like, there's, there's, there's a point. I mean, we, we have events that we celebrate our cultures. God didn't make us copies of one another. Right? But when it comes to God, we need to go to the essence of who he is and what he says about himself. So, so Moses is coming down with the Ten Commandments, and as he's coming down, they've, they've made for themselves a God that they sort of thought. It was an idol. It was a dumb idol that they made for themselves. And in his anger, Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he breaks them in half. And, and he's just extremely frustrated and after some time, God summons him back on the mountain for round number two of giving the commandments. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses has this sort of almost outburst of saying, God, you've asked me to lead your people over and over and over. But Lord, if your presence is not going with us, we're not going from up here. Because God earlier says, I'll send an angel with you. And Moses, God, no. Unless you're coming with us, we're not going anywhere because the only thing that separates us from all the other cultures is the fact that your presence is with us. God, we're not going from here. These are your people. You've called me to this ministry, but God, do not forsake us. And God sort of looks at Moses and says, Moses, what do you want me to do for you? You want my presence to go with you? I'll go with you. And you think that Moses would be okay with that. I mean... But he has another trick up his sleeve because God kind of gives him an open-ended question and a blank check and says, what, what do you want me to do for you, Moses? Moses looks at him and says, God, I want to see your glory. Like, out of all the things that Moses could have asked for, I don't know, maybe food in the desert that's different, or water, or air conditioning. I know they didn't have that back then, but I'm just saying, maybe make the weather a little bit colder so it's not as difficult. Maybe make the people not complain as much. 
I know planes weren't invented until then, until now, but, but maybe a plane to carry these people or a boat or something to get this done quicker. But that's not what he asks for. He says, God, show me your glory. I want to know who you are. In essence, what he's saying is, God, I want to know your nature. I want to see your power, your goodness. Lord, flex your biceps. I want to see that. I want to see who you are. Show me your glory. And God says, well, can't do that. Sorry. Because if I did, you'd be dead. You are someone who is sinful. To be in my presence, that means that you would be dead. But what I can do for you, Moses, is I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll pass by. And as I pass by, you can look and see the back of me. You can see my goodness. And it says that it's exactly what happens. God places Moses into the, the cleft of a rock. And as he passes by, Moses sees the back of God. He says, as he comes down, people realize there's something different about Moses. Moses spent time with the Lord and his face is shining. His face is glowing. And everyone's just like, well, this is new. This is amazing. I mean, have you seen Moses? And the word just spreads throughout. The, like, Moses' face is shining. We know he's been with the Lord. And this time when he brings the Ten Commandments, he doesn't break them, even though it's the same people who are complaining and so on. Because he's been transformed by beholding the glory of God Moses is transformed, and he goes from this person who is angry to one of the meeker, a person who is meek, a person who is humble, because he spent time in God's glory, in his presence. A lot of times, we like to complain about people, and I'm the king of that. But when you spend time in God's glory, God doesn't hardly ever agrees with me. And it's always, but what about you? Because when you spend time in, 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 in glory, in the glory of the Lord, you realize how much of a sinner you are, how much you need to be transformed, how, how much you need to behold him and changed. That's what you realize. So Moses is coming down, but then they notice something that's that's happening that they don't, don't like. His glory, this, this, this amazing display of God's glory on his face, this, this amazing shining, it starts to fade away. And people around him are saying, well, wait a second. If other people start seeing this, the glory of the Lord is fading from your face, they will wonder, is God's presence leaving us too? So Moses, you need to cover that up. So Moses covers his face with a veil because they didn't want to see a glory that was fading. They didn't want people to, realize, to, to start questioning, is God still with us? I mean, it was cool that two days ago, kind of like your passionate camp, you know what I mean? Like, like it starts to fade away slowly by slowly. Right? And Apostle Paul writes about this, and he says, look, 
when the Ten Commandments came down, they came with a specific kind of glory. And it transformed Moses. And they, but this glory in the Old Testament, this glory that we're talking about, is fading away. But we have a new glory in the New Testament that doesn't fade away. We are sons and daughter of the living God. And as we spend time in his presence, we are able to display on our face through our behavior and the way that we talk and the way that we act God's glory in a way that doesn't fade away. Right? So it it amazes me that they covered Moses' face. But here's the awesome thing about the law of God. Now, I know that we don't live by law. We live by grace. In the Old Testament, they live by law. In the New Testament, we live by grace. But the law of God is a mirror to us. The law of God was always intended to show you the true condition of your heart. I remember I was in school and one time I walked in, I mentioned this story before, I think, and people were laughing at me and, and I didn't know what it was. And everyone was just like, you know, and I was like, what? Like, what is wrong with my face? Until my best friend came up to me and says, bro, you have toothpaste all over your face. Have you looked yourself in the mirror before you left the house? So I went and wiped the toothpaste off my face and I realized what was wrong with me. A lot of times we would go to trips and there was like a whole bunch of us, there was a group of girls and guys and these girls decided to prank one of her friends because she would not wake up. Like no matter what you did, like you threw water, like she could not wake up like on time, like she, and you could wake her up. So they decided that they didn't write loser on her forehead, which I don't recommend anyone to do their friend and people were laughing um and then i saw this when she's coming down the stairs and i see some walking around with loser written on you know and then she finally figures it out goes to the bathroom looks comes comes out and says you know what you guys are the losers because you misspelled losers and you spelled it backwards because when he was she was looking in the mirror she saw loser spelled backwards right and you're like no spelled right <laughs> in the right direction, right? Because even, even looking at that, you have a wrong interpretation because it flips your image, right? So a lot of times when we come to the Word of God, we see our true nature, but also we have to understand it in the right context. And a lot of time we have misunderstandings of what is wrong with us, but we know something is wrong with us. You cannot go to a mirror in the morning and realize there's a massive zit on your forehead and think, oh, that's how it should be. You realize, okay, this is, I need to do something about that. That's what mirrors do. They show, show us the true condition of our heart, and that's what the law of God does. But I don't know about you, but the older you get, the more you get in front of the mirror, you're like, another day, right? Like, is this what I look like now? <laughs> like, and, and it, it could be almost like, especially if maybe you had a breakout on your face or something is, is wrong on your face, it could almost be depressing, right? Because you're like, oh, that doesn't look good. And I think a lot of times when we come to the law of the Lord, we realize how sinful we are. We realize that there's something on us that is not right. And you can respond in two different ways. You can either deal with what's happening or you can just ignore it and move on. And that really depends on what you're motivated by. 
Because if you come to the word of God and the law of God and you realize this is what I'm doing is sinful. This is actually messing up my spiritual life. Uh, there's a story in the old kind of English, uh, Queen, Queen Elizabeth, she would put makeup on because she, you know, back in the day, people wanted to look pale and they had this makeup they would put on. But at that time, they didn't know that makeup had lead in it. So the more she put on this makeup, the more it would cause breakouts. And history shows that, well, at least some people think that she actually died of lead poisoning because the more she tried to cover things up, the worse things got. The very thing that was covering her, her, her imperfections was actually killing her, was ca causing the imperfections in her face. So in, in church, what that looks like is you come to and you read the Bible and you realize your life does not measure up to the law of God. And if you're motivated by the fear of man, what you're going to do is you're going to try to, at least if you're far away from church, I've seen this happen over and over and over, you'll try to cover up. You'll, you'll retreat. You won't show up to church as much. You will come late and leave early because you don't really want people to ask questions. You don't want them to find out the true nature of your heart. So you will shield yourself from any kind of responsibility, any kind of authority, any kind of person, even a best friend, they will look to you and say, hey, there's something wrong with your spiritual life. So, so you will hide yourself. You will cover your face. And maybe that's a bit extreme for you. And you're like, hey, I don't want, because when you put a veil of, over your face, it's very, very obvious. And people walking around, like, is that a, is that a person or is that a mummy? Because I don't know anything about them. Right? So maybe that's extreme for you. So the next thing that you will do is, I'll, I'll just put a mask on. So you come to church and you're the worship guy. You know, the, the mask with the worship like, Jesus, I love you. And, and, and you, just, you just have this worship, you know, and everyone at church knows you as the worship guy. But then you go Alki and you hang out with your other homie, homies and cronies and all, all the other people you hang out with, and you're a completely different person. You're no longer the worship guy. You're the guy who has a foul, foul language, and like you're the, you're the guy who completely has a different, because you just put a different mask on. But you see, the problem with veiling your face and your mask is you realize pretty quickly that if you, people were to actually see the true, the truth about you, to see who you really are, they might reject you. And then you wonder why you're so lonely in the crowd full of people is because you haven't allowed anyone to truly know you. You've been, you've been hiding behind veils and masks. And then you wonder, well, City Hill Bellevue is not that friendly because you're not allowing people to truly see you. Of course, there's a responsibility that comes to us as leaders to make sure people feel at home here and as a family. But if you choose not to open up, there's nothing I can do for you. I think one of the most hurtful things as a pastor is to, to spend time with people and be there at the hospital and do the wedding and all of that, right? And them ghosting you a month after with literally no explanation. And you're like, okay, maybe you don't want to walk after the Lord, but I still care about you as a friend. And I still miss you as a friend. Because you see, when you hide behind masks, 
or veils, we're not really known, and you are created to be known. You are created to know God, to know other people, and to be known by God and by other people. So we do what most of us do at church. We think veils and masks are a bit extreme, so we put makeup on. And ladies, I'm not making fun of makeup here. Just think of it in a spiritual sense. It's still my face, but every single imperfection, I'll just cake it on really nice. Again, sorry for the illustration, but I thought, I thought it through, okay? It's true. You will cover things with spirituality that you know are sinful. You know that what you're saying is gossip, but like, yeah, but I, I, this is just a prayer need. Um, I was driving by that girl's house and her boyfriend's car was there. And it's a prayer need for sure, but like I was kind of wondering, what is her boyfriend's ha a car doing at her house? Right, so, so you'll start to cover things with spirituality. Or like, well, I know I might go off at people or get angry when people call me out. But you know what? Jesus, like he flipped the, the, the things in the, in the, yeah, the temple. Yeah, you know? So he got angry too. And you're like, nah. That still is it on your forehead. You still have to deal with that. Don't cover up with nice powder. Don't cover up with spirituality. You need to deal with that. You need to be transformed. Because if there's a breakout in your face, most likely something's wrong in the body. And for you to just sort of cover up with veils, masks, or makeup, it might not. You know? Now, of course, again, like this is not a sermon. I'm, ladies, I'm walking on really thin shells here. Like, I'm not talking about the, you know, we all like to look in the mirror and look good and, 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 and take care of ourselves. I'm talking about from a spiritual perspective here. Right? So when the law was given, it was supposed to show us the true condition of our heart. And there's three kinds of laws. In the Old Testament, you had the moral law. The moral law primarily had to deal with your right standing with God. If you sinned, you broke the moral law. And Jesus fulfilled the moral law, and that moral law still stands today. Being right standing with God was important in the Old Testament, is important now. Then we have what God gave us. At that time, it, was a more, it wasn't a democracy per se, it was more of a theocracy, and God gave civil law. Right? How do you deal with your neighbor? Then maybe you're wrong, or maybe there's an accident. Okay, how do you deal with your neighbor? So the still, we still have civil law today. You drove here, hopefully, on speed, speed limit, right? Like, that is a civil law. So, so the moral law has to do with right standing with God. The civil law has to do with right standing with other people, when people around you, right? Treating each other, you know, in a way that is fair and appropriate. And God gave a third set of law called the ceremonial law, which primarily had to do with being right standing with the identity or the purpose that God has given you. So the Israelites, they had the, the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. The ceremonial law were things like don't eat shellfish, don't cut the hair on the side of your fore, uh, forehead, temples, right? don't tattoo your body. That is ceremonial law that was given for that time. Why? Because God wanted Israelites to be 
the people were the Messiah, the Christos, the, the, the anointed one would come from. The purpose of the nation was that out of this nation, God will bring the Messiah up. Right? And then you have, obviously, civil law that still happened today. And then the moral law. Now, a lot of people think things like, oh, Jesus paid the price. I no longer have to, you know, do. Yeah, but we're still bound by the moral law and by the civil law. You don't, you don't go out and do whatever you want to do because there's civil law in place. And actually, in the New Testament, the authority is affirmed of the civil law, of the authorities, you know, in government and so on. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make here? The point is this, is that we see so much in our culture, things like, well, why you guys speak against homosexuality? You don't keep the law when it comes to eating a selfish. Yeah, those are two different things. The moral law still stands. And when you break the moral law, you are sinning against God. When you break the civil law, you are sinning against your neighbor. So how do you keep your relationship with the Lord? How do you not sin? How do you make sure that whenever you make a commitment to follow the Lord, you actually follow through? How do you make sure that the passion that you had first for the Lord, it doesn't die out? How do you make sure that you actually carry through? Well, how do, you, how do you make sure any of this happens? Well, here's where Apostle Paul writes, and he says this, verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put on a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Remember how I talked about the fading glory? But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how do you make sure that you have a passion for the Lord constantly? Is by when you come to the law of God, you're not motivated by fear of man and trying to cover your face with veils, masks, and makeup. But you understand the fear of God and you understand that you can't hide from God and that we are all sinners and we are in desperate need of our Savior. And I remember, I don't know if you remember how many times I've said there's two ways to actually get saved. I know, it's not a heresy. It's by being per perfect or having Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, who has lived the perfect life, who has died for you. Now we understand that no person, before you were even born, you're already born in sin and iniquity. No person is perfect. 
No person is without sin. So that is not really an option. It's just sort of an arbitrary thing that I say that, hey, if you can be perfect, and Jesus said this a lot of times, you have to, your, your perfection, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And they were serious about their righteousness. You have to be perfect, in other words, where you can trust the Lord. You can put your, your hope in Him and what He's done on the cross. And here's a few things that I want to mention. Then when we put our hope in Christ, what happens? First, we understand that there is no longer any condemnation. We don't have to look in the mirror of the spiritual law, or the moral law, and say, hey, there's a horrible, you know, things, there's horrible things on my face. You can, you can look at that and say that, but you understand that God is slowly changing your heart. And one day, you'll start seeing it in how you address people and how you talk to people. And your sin is no longer held against you. Romans 8, 1 says this, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law condemns, and Apostle Paul says that, that the law condemns, but in Jesus there is no longer condemnation. Right? The second thing is that if you are in Jesus, if you are in communion with Him daily, there will be a transformation that lasts. I heard this morning, I think it was, I think I saw it online, basically says that uh, a guy wrote that if you act like the devil but claim to be Christian, you are of the devil. And I was like, well, that's a bit harsh. You see, if you're a Christian, if you spend time with Jesus, you will be like Jesus. There will be a transformation that constantly happens. Now, at the beginning, you might not be able to see it, but eventually you will. So there's no condemnation for your previous sin. There's a transformation. And here's where that transformation comes from. The word here in the Greek is metamorphosis, where, where we get our kind of like the idea of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? Like this change, this transformation that happens. Second Corinthians 3.17, the last two verses in the same chapter says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold, as we uncover our face, and we look in the perfect image of Jesus, we are being transformed into His image. I always bring this example of if you ever put a puzzle together and it's so extremely difficult, if you don't have a picture. But the moment you have a picture, then things start to make sense. Like, well, this blue thing kind of goes here and this is a corner thing because it's like this and, and you start putting it together. Right? So how do you figure out your life? Well, if you just... Hey, to me, it's so frustrating to listen to some of these artists, right? And one of them tells you to lose yourself. Another one tells you to find yourself. I'm like, which one is it? Tell me. 
Like, take my credit card. I'm willing to pay. Like, like show me which one is it. Because they're extremely confused like the rest of the culture. It's the blind leading the blind. You want to see what your life should look like? Look unto the person of Jesus. You want to know what your true, authentic self is? Is looking unto Jesus and who Jesus made you to be. Is, is making this, this amazing transformation in your heart by beholding Jesus. As you behold Him, you are being transformed. Now, we talked about how Israelites had the ceremonial law. When Jesus came, that was abolished because, hey, that was enough for that time for those people to show that they're the special people of God. But when Jesus came, He gave us a new identity. And the marks of a true Christian is this, as Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember I talk about how ceremonial law, civil law, moral law. Moral law has to do with your right standing with God. Civil law, right standing with your society where you're your, your peers. And then you have the ceremonial law that basically in, the, in essence is, hey, what is the, 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 the true nature of who you are, what the purpose of your life, the identity of your life, and the true nature of a Christian is to have the fruit of the Spirit develop in them. The true of nature of, the, of, of, of a Christian. Measure your Christianity not by how big your ministry is or how many people know you, but how loving, joyful, peaceful, how patient and kind, kind you are, how good and faithful you are. When you behold Jesus, you are being transformed to that same image. And because of that, because He is doing, by you beholding His glory, just like Moses, right? You are being transformed. You have a freedom that you never had before. Pastor Yuri doesn't get on the key, a piano and goes, oh, which note was that? This note. This, there, there's, there's a freedom that he has. He no longer has to actively, constantly think about every single rule to follow to make sure this... No, this, is, this comes naturally. When Jesus is the master of your life and he is flowing through you through the Holy Spirit, you don't have to think about, oh, oh I better not commit adultery. I, I better not kill anybody today. Like, I, I know the 613 laws, I have to keep all of them today. No, it's a natural thing. It happens instantaneously because the Holy Spirit is the one living through you. And every single thing happens instant. There's a freedom in that. You're no longer walking around like, oh, I, I better keep this. Like, I, I see this so many times in new Christians where like, God just pulled them out of the mud and you're like, you know what? Everyone's a heretic. And you're like, yo, like you just you just got pulled out of the mud. And they, I'm like, don't go from one extreme to the religious, legalistic extreme here. There's a freedom in Christ. That if you just spend time with Him, if you, then you don't have to think about all these other sins because you will be like Him. You will be transformed. 
C.S. Lewis writes on the nature of glory, and he says, I don't know what glory really is. Like, what is glory? I thought of glory as being fame, but fame sounds like there's a competition with other people, and it sounds more of like a hellish idea. Right? Well, is it being, he uses the word luminous, right? Like, he says, yeah, that sounds kind of nice, but like, does do people want to walk around like a light bulb? That would be kind of weird. So what is glory? He concludes and he says, glory is actually being famous with God. For God to know you, and in the end to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of the size of your ministry and what you did, but because of how obedient you walked and how in step you walk with me daily. Glory is God bragging about Job. Oh yeah, have you noticed my servant Job? Pretty cool, eh? And I think so many of us look in the mirror and look in the spiritual law to try to please others, to try to have a right standing, but we, we kind of like forgo this the most important thing that is the glory of God, to be known by God, to behold Him. Because if we truly do that, we don't have to go through to-dos and, 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 and muster up daily energy to be Christian. No, that comes naturally. It, it comes out of a overflow of love. And, and one more verse that I, I want to read is from Mark 12, 28. It says this, And one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing what he answered them, he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important, hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than this. So we are told that we, to love our, our God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind and our strength. And I think so many times it's so easy to do one of them, it's really hard to do all of them. If you're one of those people that always listens to Bethel, like, I just love Jesus and I'm gonna worship him in my heart and it just feels so good. That's how you know you're worshiping him in the heart. And then you have the people who, you worship God in your mind. You know everything about Arminianism and Calvinism and all the theology and apologetics and you're the guy who scratches the beard and you're like, yeah, well, according to that passage, like, because you are all up here. And then you have people in our, in, our, in our church that you worship with your strength. You're the guy who sets the stage up in the theater. You're like, hey, Slavic, you're a pastor. You shouldn't be here. We got this. Right? Like, you worship God with your strength and how you serve. And then you have people who are very relational and the way you serve and you worship God is, is having those emotional connections with other people and you're all about the soul and, and making sure. Now it's easy to come and just set up the stage and not have a relationship with God otherwise. It's easy to listen to worship music and, 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 and come to the altar and then live ungodly for the rest of the week. But 
God wants a complete transformation. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind and your strength. That in all things, you might love Him. And as you love God, you will love your neighbor. And there will be a healthy dose of also understanding that you are valuable to God. Because even though the cross is a place where we found how horrible we were, and how sinful and how dead in our trespasses we were, at the cross we also find out how much God cared for us. At the cross we also know that God values us. So, to bring all this to a conclusion here before we call it to prayer, like, I want to ask you, what have you been tr trying and is just not working? Maybe you've been trying it in your own strength. Maybe you are going to the Bible and to you it's a rule book of the things that you should and you shouldn't do. Maybe you've been hiding behind veils and masks and makeup trying to put on a show that you know it's not true. I'm asking you to remove all of that and behold Jesus. As you behold Him, you will be transformed. Now, how do you behold Jesus? By seeing what He's doing around us. By seeing what He's doing in your heart. By having fellowship with Him daily. And sometimes every minute of your life. By beholding Him, we are being transformed. And there's a freedom. Should you drink? Should you not drink? Should you get a tattoo? Should you not? And people start like crazy argue about all this. I'm like, it might not be a sin to drink a cup of wine or a glass of wine rather. But I'm like, I just don't care for it. Like, I just don't care for it. So, so things that used to be like, you know, so overwhelming, like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. No, when you're about the things of God, you're like, but why though? I don't, I don't find joy in that. There's a old like song that says uh, something along the lines of, look unto Jesus and the things of this world will become strangely dim. I think John Piper says a quote, he says that, the only way to overtake an addiction or a love is by replacing it with a greater love. Right? How do you overcome by having joy in something that's so much more splendid and glorious? And that is beholding Jesus. And that is my hope for you this morning is that as you go throughout the week, you encounter Him, you behold Him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event that you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless.